but blessed. I believe I'm going to be talking to some people who've been bitten by some things lately and some things that should, by natural course of action, harm you and destroy you. But even though you've bitten, you're not going to, you are, even though you've been bitten, you're not going to suffer harm. You're going to shake this thing off because even though you've been bitten, you are still blessed. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Use it in Jesus' name. God bless you. Smile at somebody real big, real toothy-like, you know? You can be seated. Take me to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. Say that little part of that verse with me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In that verse, Paul is teaching on what he'll later expound upon greatly, the doctrine, the fundamental Christian doctrine of identification. Everybody say identification. Now, doctrine's important because the word doctrine means your core beliefs, your foundational beliefs. And if your doctrine is not strong, then when the storms come to your life, they'll blow your whole belief system down unless you've been firmly rooted and grounded with core doctrinal principles. The doctrine of identification is one of the central doctrines of Christianity. It has several tenets. I'll take you through some of them. Firstly, the believer has been placed in Christ. This is the doctrine of identification. The believer has been placed in Christ and united with Christ's work. Okay? Look at this. The believer has been united with Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. Second tenet says, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus were historical events as it relates to the natural realm but they are eternal events as it relates to the spiritual realm. In other words, even though the crucifixion and the resulting death of Jesus Christ happened over 2,000 years ago, the work of the cross spiritually is still alive and as active today as it was back then. So it was a natural event that happened in the past as it relates to history. But in the spirit realm, it's still as real and as powerful and proactive as it ever was or as it was when it was happening. Next, through identification, through the doctrine of identification, the believer realizes that we are in Christ. you you got to catch this. We are in Christ, and through salvation and the new birth in him, we have been made members of his body. That's not a colloquial phrase. That's not a church phrase. That's a doctrinal understanding of your position as a believer. At the moment of salvation, God took you. As far as heaven is concerned, as far as God's judgment is concerned, God took you 
and placed you inside the body of Jesus Christ. Next, as a member. Don't think of member like gym membership or church membership. Think of body part. You know, my index finger is a member of my body. Okay, as a member of Jesus' body, my debt to sin has not only been forgiven, it's been paid in full. You understand that? Because I've been placed in the body of the one that suffered and the one that died, and he suffered and died because of my sin. I've been placed in his death. So all of the debt I owe to sin and death and shame, it's not only been forgiven, it's been paid. We often think of salvation like forgiveness. And I really think it's a poor understanding. You know, on the, you know let's say you forgive a debt on the rare occasion that people forgive debts. <laughs> say somebody owes you $100 and you just decide, you know what, don't worry about it, I forgive the debt. Problem with that is they still owe you and you still remember they owe you. And every time you see that joker, you may have forgiven it, but you'll be thinking in the back of your mind, you owe me some money. You know. And what we think about salvation, just, just on the surface, we think, you know, we, we owed this enormous debt to sin, and, and God just smiled at us because he's so rich in grace and so merciful and so loving, and God just said, don't worry about it, I forgive you. That, that's not the whole of what happened. On the cross, our sin and debt to sin was not just forgiven. It was simultaneously forgiven and totally paid for in his body. And then we, at the moment of salvation, were put in his body. So the enemy has no legal rights to collect from you because you're inside of the body that was beaten, that was bloodied, that was suffered, that died, that was buried, and that rose again. You're in the body of Christ. Look at somebody say, I'm in the body of Christ. Now, Paul understood the doctrine of identification so fiercely and so almost borderline arrogantly because... Paul went into a city that four years before, he went into the city to preach, but, but four years before he got there, he had gone into their city, he went into their churches, and he killed all the people that were preaching and worshiping God. He has the nerve four years later after his conversion to go back to the same city, and the people remembered who he was. You know, what are you doing here preaching the gospel? Last time we saw you, you were killing people, chopping us up with a sword for preaching the same gospel you're preaching. And Paul has the audacity, this is in your Bible, I can't even believe he said it. Paul has the audacity to look at them and say, I have done no man, no harm. Paul so identified with the work of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the new life, the new birth, the new creation in Christ. He so identified with it that he completely stepped out of his own identity and being and said, the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself a ransom for me. That's the doctrine of identification in a nutshell. Now, Psalms chapter 1. Familiar verse. Sometimes the greatest truth isn't a new revelation, it's remembering an old one. 
And Psalms chapter 1, David is teaching people about blessing. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. The word blessed doesn't mean what we think it does. The word blessed means the supernatural ability to succeed over adversity. Now, I love that definition because it doesn't mean that if you're blessed, you won't have any adversity. A lot of people are blessed, but they don't feel blessed because in their minds, they think if I was really blessed, I wouldn't be going through so much hell. Oh, so where's the honest people at? If God was really with me, I wouldn't be going through so much trouble. If God was really with me, my finances wouldn't be attacked. If God was really with me, I wouldn't be sick in my body. If God was really with me and I was really blessed, I wouldn't have all this mess going on in my life. Blessed doesn't mean that. Blessed means that God gives you a supernatural ability to succeed over the adversity that comes against you. In other words, when it's all over, you'll still be standing. And that's how I know you're blessed. Everybody say, I'm blessed. Now, the blessing of Psalm chapter 1 is a powerful blessing. And it is enacted. It's initiated. It's turned on by two things. Recognition and refusal. Everybody say, recognition and refusal. What's he say? Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. So number one, I have to be able to recognize the difference between godly counsel and ungodly counsel. That's the recognition. When I notice the difference, I have to simply refuse ungodly counsel and I've activated the blessing of God in my life. That's the easiest blessing there is in Scripture. Just refusing ungodly counsel. But you must actively refuse it when it comes. Now, whether we realize it or not, we're receiving counsel all the time. Turn on your phone to scroll through social media, plenty of counsel. Turn on your television, plenty of counsel. Pick up a newspaper, turn on the radio, plenty of counsel. Talk with a friend, plenty of counsel. Even when you're quiet and by yourself, when you think you are counseling with yourself. Counsel is coming at you constantly, and your thought life and your paradigms have been shaped by the counsel you continually walk in. The blessed person chooses actively to refuse ungodly counsel and rather walks in the delight of the word of the Lord. When you do this, you wash your mind with God's word and purify your soul from the putrid, toxic counsel you've received from the ungodly. And the person who does this, the Bible says, will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth their fruit in their season, their leaf also shall not wither, and whatever they do will prosper. Then Psalms 1 verse 4 says, the ungodly are not so. They're not like the blessed man who prospers. They're not like that person. They're not so. How are the ungodly? They are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Now, the difference between chaff and wheat is minuscule. You really can't even tell to the common eye, the naked eye. You can't really tell if I was holding you know, two hands. You couldn't tell which one was chaff and which one was wheat. The chaff is the stalk, the part that grows around the wheat. And 
the only way to really know the difference instantaneously is what they would do in Bible days to separate the chaff from the wheat is they would take a big handful of it and throw it up in the air. And when the wind would blow through it, the chaff has no weight to it. It has no substance to it. So when the wind hits it, it just blows it away. It just drives it away. The wheat, however, has weight and has substance. So when the wind hits the wheat, it simply falls right back into place. The wind disrupts the wheat, but it does not dislocate it. The wind disrupts the chaff and then totally dislocates it. So how you respond to the wind that's blowing determines what substance you are. I'm going to say that again. How you respond to a strong wind that comes in your life determines what substance you are. I've seen a lot of people that look like wheat. Uh, you can't tell the difference. They, they sing like wheat, and they come to church like wheat, and they clap like wheat, and they shout like wheat. But when a little bit of wind was applied to their life earlier this year, I ain't seen them or heard from them in months. Because what does the wind do if you're chaff? It just blows you completely away. And the wheat, the wheat's frustrated by the wind. The wheat feels the wind. The wheat is disrupted by the wind, but it is not dislocated by the wind because its inner substance is too weighty to be blown around by a storm. And I know I'm talking to a few people here today that, that you've been going through a whole lot of storms, but the substance on the inside of you has refused to allow you to be moved by every wind of trouble that's blowing. Live long enough, you're going to encounter a whole lot of wind. And if you blow away every time it gets difficult, if you, if you change out marriage partners every time the wind blows, if you change out jobs every time the wind blows, if you change out churches every time the wind blows, you're going to live the life of a vagabond and a wanderer always being driven away by every wind that blows to and fro. But if you got a little weight to you, you can learn how to go through something that looks like it's going to take you completely down and yet stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The wind may be blowing, but some of us have checked and noticed I'm still here. It's blowing real bad, but I'm still standing. I've been threatened. I've been persecuted. The enemy said he was going to destroy everything in my life, but have you noticed that this morning you're still... The wind is blowing right now. The wind's going to blow. I don't know if somebody didn't raise you right and didn't tell you. Let me help you. The wind is going to blow. Sometimes it'll be a medium wind. Sometimes it'll be a hurricane force wind. But if you live long enough, the wind is going to blow. In Acts chapter 27, Paul is on a passenger ship with 276 passengers. Just to give you a little bit of size of the ship, 276 adults are on this ship. And Paul is sailing from Crete to Rome. 
He was a prisoner chained on board, and he protested the journey before they left because he knew out of a prophetic unction that a hurricane was coming. They went and they set sail anyway. They got into a hurricane, and the hurricane started blowing so violently, it started to break the ship apart, and the ship began to sink. Now, look at verse 20 of Acts 27. It says, when neither sun nor stars had appeared for many days. That's the thing about some storms. Some storms just last many days. We're in the middle of a storm right now, all of us. Everyone in our nation. Everyone in our world, really. We're in the middle of a storm that has lasted many days. And Paul said, we hadn't seen the sun or the stars for many days. And no small tempest beat on us. This wasn't a small problem. This was a major problem. And I like the way he said it. He said it beat on us. Can we be honest for just a second? How many people feel like you've just taken a beating over the last four months? Finance has taken a beating. Just, just mental health taking a beating. Just joy taking a beating. Lifestyle just taking a beating. Being stuck in that house with your kids has just given your nerves a beating. Anybody's nerves taking a beating over the last four months? He said it beat on us. And all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Verse 21. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them, in the midst of that 276 passenger ship to where everybody could hear him. He stood in the midst of them and he said, man, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God whom I belong and to whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those that sail with you. Now, I want you to look at Paul in this text. It's raining and the wind is blowing, howling. Waves are crashing into the ship. They can hear the ship breaking apart. And Paul gets up in chains and starts, he had to have been screaming to overpower the sound of that much weather to 276 people. He had to have been screaming at the top of his lungs and he was saying, don't worry about your life. The ship's going to break apart, but you're not going to die. Don't be depressed. Hey, don't jump overboard. The, the ship's not going to make it, but, but just hold on. Stay where you are. You're going to be okay. We're going to lose the ship, but we're not going to lose you. Now, what I love about this is it's leadership. Paul is standing there encouraging other people while he's sinking himself. I mean, whether you're leading a family, whether you're leading a business, whether you're leading a church, that's what leadership does. It screams out passionate encouragement to other people while you're sinking yourself. And to all of the people in here 
who are frustrated by bearing the burdens of others. To all of the other people in here who have been encouraging the people around you while you're sinking yourself, I want to tell you, what you do for other people, God will do for you. Listen, notice, Paul is screaming encouragement to them. But an angel is standing there whispering encouragement to Paul. And God sent me here to tell you, if you'll keep doing it for other people, he'll send an angel to come and do it for you. If you'll keep refreshing others, if you won't get burned out, if you won't quit on your family, if you won't quit on the people that need you, if you won't quit on the people at your job, if you'll keep pouring out your energy and pouring out your encouragement and pouring out your strength, what you pour out for others, God will pour into you. He said, the ship's, the ship's not, the ship's not, it's not, well, it's not going to make it, but, but you will. Sometimes the thing you were counting on to carry you to your destination falls apart. The ship, the relationship, the friendship, the financial ship, whatever it was, whatever apparatus you were using to get from one point to another, sometimes that thing breaks down. But just because you lost the ship doesn't mean you won't reach your destination. I want to talk to people whose ship has been breaking down. I want to talk to people whose car has been breaking down, whose job's been breaking down, whose marriage has been breaking down. Just because you lost the ship doesn't mean you can't reach your destination. And the reason why is the simple theological truth of the anyway factor of God. Somebody say the anyway factor of God. The anyway factor of God is a real simple doctrine. It means God doesn't need anything you lost to bless you. No matter what you lost, God can still get you to your destination anyway. God doesn't need people to promote you. God doesn't need an education or a diploma to promote you. God can get you there anyway. The anyway factor of God. Some of you know what it's like to be blessed anyway. Some of us have been blessed in the middle of this virus anyway. Makes no natural sense how we're standing here as blessed as we are. Turn on the news, nothing like looks like you. Turn on the TV, not, nothing that's going on explains your experience. You have been blessed anyway. You can't explain it. That's how you know it's the anyway blessing of God. Not everybody can give God praise for an anyway blessing, but if you know something about it every time you remember it, you ought to lift up your hands, open up your mouth, and give God a shout for the anyway times, the anyway seasons, the anyway circumstances that he blessed you anyway. Somebody online shout anyway. So they, the ship breaks apart and they use the broken pieces of the wreckage to float safely to the shore. Listen to me. Miracles usually don't break out until you break down. Ah, uh, you didn't like that because you don't want to break down. But I'm going to tell somebody who's breaking down, having a breakdown right now. Miracles usually do not happen until you break down. But when you break down and you're falling apart, that are, those are the moments that you become qualified to see the supernatural power of God manifested in your life. And it's just the ship broke down, the thing that was carrying them, and they just grabbed on to the broken pieces, and they paddled the rest of the way to the shore. And I've noticed in my life over the years, the best praise doesn't come from people who arrive safely at their destination on the ship.
They didn't have no hurricane. They didn't have no storm. They were chilling out on the bow of the ship and made it safely to their destination. But the best praise doesn't come from them. The best praise comes from people whose ship fell apart, didn't have nothing but the broken pieces of the wreckage, and yet they paddled on the pieces and made it anyway. And I want to tell somebody, I don't know what you're going through, but God told me to say to you, if you'll paddle on the pieces, if you'll just paddle on the pieces, I don't know who I'm preaching to, paddle on the pieces, you'll make it there safely. If you just paddle on the pieces, you'll make it there safely. I know we can't touch our neighbor right now, but point at somebody and say, paddle on the pieces, paddle on the pieces, and you will make it there safely. I don't know why it's so hard for us to trust God now. He's the same God that's been helping us all of our lives. I don't know why it's so hard to believe God now. He's the same God been healing us all our lives. I don't know why it's so hard to trust God now. He's the same God that's been raising us up all of our lives. I don't know why it's so hard to give God praise now. He's the same God that's been blessing us all of our lives. I mean, there's some peace paddlers in the room right now. Been paddling on pieces all your life. Other people got the job because they went to school. You didn't go to school, but you got the same job. They got to their destination on a cruise ship, but you had to paddle all the way. But what's amazing is you both ended up in the same destination. Don't look down on me when I praise God with reckless abandon. Don't call me crazy when I preach with power and lose my ever-loving mind because you don't know what it took me to get to the same place you got easy. You don't know what I had to suffer and what I had to go through to get to the same place you got easy. Nobody handed me this blessing. I had to survive in troubled water. I had to paddle on broken pieces. I had to suffer the cold. I had to cry. But God got me there anyway. Is there anybody in the room that God got you there anyway I saw you I saw you way up high on your cruise ship I saw you look over the rail at me paddling in the water with my little broken pieces And that's why I walked by you with my head held so high when we both ended up at the same spot. So Paul, Acts 28.1, says, once we made it safely to the shore. Oh, I love that. Once we had escaped, made it safely to the shore. Everybody say safely to the shore. This translation says escape. The other one says once we made it safely to the shore. And I like the fact that he put that in. He doesn't say once we made it to the shore. He says once we made it safely to the shore. You have to learn to celebrate survival. 
No, you don't no, you don't hear me. Survival has become so commonplace to us. We, we've gotten so good with our science and our medicine. We've gotten so good with, with all of the things we can use to keep people alive. We've gotten so good with it, I wonder if we appreciate it even anymore. You know, you've got to celebrate survival. They get to the shore and they look back at the ocean and they realized, I just came through something that should have killed me. And I want all of you to know something this morning. You've lived through something that should have killed you. You've lived through something that hundreds of thousands of people have already died of this year. You've lived through something that has bankrupted millions of people. You've lived through something that has caused millions of people to have their homes repossessed. You've lived through something that has caused many people to have their cars repossessed. You've lived through something that should have killed you. And when you've lived through something that should have killed you, it don't matter whether the preacher's preaching good or not. You owe God a praise. When you lived through something that should have destroyed you, it don't matter if the music's right or if the sound's right, you owe God a praise. Don't you let negative conditions cause you not to celebrate survival. survived. Throw up both your hands and say, I survived. Oh, it's warming up in here now. Throw up both your hands and say, I survived. Been getting to the point I've been screaming at my TV. Every day they're telling you, you are going to die. And I screamed back to him, today, I survived. You, you've got to learn to celebrate and give God praise for the things you have. And I just thought in this age of negativity, I would tell you, you, you survived. You survived. You survived the same air that got some people sick and killed them. You survived. You survived on the same roadways that people died in a head-on collision in last night. You survived. Our pastor of worship, Derek Hendry, was in a horrific car accident last night while he was on the phone with me. I had to hear the whole thing. He had me on speakerphone, and a car uh, broadsided him. Totally. I mean, his car is totaled. It's completely gone broke bones in his body but when he called me at the emergency room he, he was telling me about his injuries and I said yeah but Somebody's starting to get it. Somebody's starting to get it. See, see, I've seen people praise God and sing and scream and run around the church for a new car. That ain't really that praiseworthy. 
really what's praiseworthy is when you look at all the opportunities you had to die when you look at all the opportunities you had to suffer when you had all the opportunities to go completely down god made sure he put something on you that enabled you to survive so they survive and 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 he begins to celebrate his survival he he's cold He's got hypothermia. He's been in the freezing cold water trying to swim to the shore. He had to paddle on a piece. He's just having an awful time, and now it starts raining. But he's thanking God that he survived. When you thank God that you survived in the middle of a storm, direction for the next move immediately comes. You ought to understand praise is an exchange. The nature of God is reciprocal, so you cannot give God a praise without God giving you an instruction. Yeah. So, so he's laying on the he's laying on the beach, and he's thanking God, Lord, I thank you that I survived. There were sharks in that water, God. Now I thank you that I survived. That water was freezing cold. My body temperature could have dropped. My blood pressure could have dropped. My heart could have stopped. But thank you, Lord that I survived. I'm talking about real praise now. Thank you, Lord. You kept my heart beating all last night when I wasn't even thinking about it. Thank you, Lord, that I survived. Thank you, Lord, that my babies woke up this morning. There's a lot of children that died last night in their crib. Thank you, Lord, that we... I'm talking about real praise now. I'm talking about thinking over your life and starting to pull all the things out. Thank you, Lord, that I, that I survived. And he's pouring all that out, and, and God gives him favor. And these barbarians that were native to the island, they, you know, they walk over to him, and they look at him and all the passengers, and they said, y'all look cold. And so they start, they start building him fire. And I love what Paul does. He looks over. You know, he's laying on the beach just thanking God, crying, just glad he survived. He looks over, and he sees them start getting a fire ready. And the exhausted, wet, cold, hungry, half-dead man stands up and starts going to gather firewood. I want to give you, I'm going to give you this point for all the strong people in here. Stop building fires for people that won't get up and get wood. You will exhaust yourself of all your energy. You will deplete yourself of your life and your force and your radiance. You'll take all the light out of your eyes if you spend your life building fires for people that won't get up and get wood. The victim mentality is very easy to slip into when you've been going through a long storm. All right? I mean, storms will make victims out of champions if you go through it long enough. Victim mentality can, can really ease up on you and bite you real bad if you've been in a storm for a long time. But reciprocity breaks the victim mentality. I'm going to say it again. Reciprocity. You do something for me, I may not be able to do for you what you did for me, but I will do something. Reciprocity breaks the poor me victim mentality. So Paul's laying there half dead, freezing of hypothermia, just shaking, you know. And he gets up, you know, shaking, and he walks over. He's picking up firewood. Because Paul's saying, I'm not a victim. I've been going through hell, but I ain't a victim. 
if you're going to try to help me, I'm going to help you help me. This is what I, I just wish we could get over to our churches in America. Uh, I, was, I was talking with Bishop Tudor, and they, they had a service. They had 130,000 people in a soccer stadium. He was preaching. And he said he had to stop preaching because the people wouldn't shut up. People were screaming so loud you couldn't hear what was coming out of the PA system. And he was just talking about the, the climate in Africa, how the people, they just throw wood on the fire of the preacher. And yet in America, we have incredible churches, we have incredible preachers, but people come to church and they sit there with wet wood and they never throw their wood on the fire of the message. And I want to tell you, if somebody's preaching to you, trying to help you, the least you could do is bring some wood to the fire. I don't need you to bring the fire. I got the fire. But it sure be nice when we come to church if we'd bring some wood. Yeah. So he, uh, so he's, you know, he's, he's getting wood. And uh, he wants to fuel his own deliverance. <laughs> Teach, Jason Sides. I said he wants to fuel his own deliverance. He doesn't have to create the deliverance. God has done that. But God does expect you to fuel and to partner with your own deliverance. Some people just waiting on God to come pick them up. No, he will provide a fire, but you got to get yourself up and walk over there and pick up some wood. I wonder when God's going to bring me out. When you rise, take up your bed and walk. You got to do something. That's why you won't find a miracle in the Bible without first an instruction tied to it. God never invests miracles in leaky jars. If you want it first, you got to do something. You've got to fuel your own deliverance. A lady's down to a little bit of meal in a barrel and a little bit of oil in a cruise. Elisha comes by and says, go make me a cake. I ain't got enough to make you a cake. Do you want to fuel your own deliverance? If you do this, if you do this, hallelujah, if you do this, if you do, if you do this first, if you will take of what you make and bring me a little bit, then the barrel's not going to run empty and the jar of oil's not going to fail. But, honey, you got to partner with your own deliverance. You got to fuel your own deliverance. So Paul's, you know, gathering sticks and, and, and getting ready to, to fuel his deliverance. And he carries the sticks over to the fire. And when he lays the bundle of sticks over the open flame, a viper that was curled up inside those sticks comes out because it senses the heat of the fire and latches onto his arm. Doesn't just bite him. Latches and it stays there. So, you know, you get the picture. He puts the sticks on the fire, stands up, and he's standing there with a viper stuck to his arm. Now, I know in this moment, imprisoned, shipwrecked, hypothermia, hadn't eaten in days. 
standing there, and now it's raining. Getting some firewood. And now, I didn't get bit. I got bit, and the thing's still on my arm. And he, he, and he stands up, and he's just standing there. I know he doesn't feel blessed. I know he doesn't feel blessed. Just like some of you. It's like it's been one thing after another. And you're just standing there with all this stuff that's bitten you, attached to you. And I, I just know you don't feel blessed. Then, to make matters worse, those barbarians that were helping him build a fire. Uh-uh. You know how spooky people get, you know. Uh-uh. I was in the gym the other day, and I cleared my throat, and like 50 people ran away from me. And... You know how spooky people get. And he's standing there like, you know, just there, and they're all backing up, you know. And they said to him, the God of this island, her name's Justice, where we get karma, you know? In other words, if something bad has happened to you later in life, it's because you did something bad earlier in life, right? They said, Justice, karma, that's our God. And you might have escaped the sea. You might have paddled here on a piece. And you might have survived hypothermia. But hypothermia, but our God, our God, justice, is making sure that you die today. You're probably a murderer. And you deserve what's happening to you. Now, they didn't know it. Paul was a murderer. And it's easy to shake off the judgmental remarks that people make against you when it's not true. When they mess around with their shotgun blast and one of those pellets actually hits on a target that reads your mail and is true. And you got a snake hanging from your arm and you've been shipwrecked and you're a prisoner. Starts to, starts to get, maybe, maybe I missed it. I mean, is this what the blessed life is all about? Is this how it feels to walk in the goodness of God? Now, Paul's got two venoms coursing through his veins. Number one, the venom of the viper. Number two, the venom of their counsel. And the enemy will make sure if he doesn't bite you with one. That he bites you with another. I mean, you can be by yourself in a steel metal room in Serbia and the enemy will find a way to get negative news to you. 
he'll send a pigeon with a message tied to it. Climb up under that steel door and give you a negative word. The enemy will make sure he gets the counsel of the ungodly to your ear. So, so Paul's standing there. And in this moment, has to make a decision. And I bet it was the hardest decision he ever had to make. And I don't think he would have been okay if not for the doctrine of identification. Because here's the thing. He knew what they were saying was true. He did deserve to die. But the reason it didn't get him was because he had already identified with Christ's death. And he knew you can't kill a man twice for the same crime. You hearing what I'm saying? Paul had so identified with the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, that even though he was guilty, and even though he had a viper on him, and even though they were saying, you're probably a murderer, you probably deserve to die, and even though he was a murderer, and even though he did deserve to die, he had stepped into a higher truth. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself a ransom for me. I have been set free. My debt has not just been forgiven. It's been fully paid. And he that the Son has set free is free indeed. But even when you're free, the enemy will still send the counsel of the ungodly to try to talk you out of your freedom. The enemy will still send negative voices to bite at you. To cause you to question and wonder about your position in God. And so Paul activates the power of agreement. The power of agreement is a spiritual law. It says... If you agree with the voices of the enemy, you will restrict God's power. But if you agree with God's voice, you will restrict the enemy's power. Did you hear what I said? You can be a child of God, a believer, a person of faith, and hear the counsel of the ungodly. And if you agree with it, in that moment, you have restricted God's power over your life. Just That's why this thing's so dangerous. This whole thing's based around fear, you know, that we're going through in our nation. So dangerous. And if you agree with it, in that moment, you've restricted God's power in your life. On the other hand, if you agree with God's word and disagree with the counsel of the ungodly, then... You restrict the enemy's power over your life, and you activate the blessing of God. All Paul did in Acts 28 was simply use what David taught in Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. All I got to do to survive this is disagree with what you said. 
Earl, all I gotta do to make it through this is disagree with what you said. All I gotta do to survive this bite is remember who I am in God and disagree with what you said. So standing there about to die of hypothermia with the venom of a viper coursing through his veins, Paul looked at all the evidence, looked at the snake hanging from him and said, ah, I disagree. I came to tell somebody this morning, you gotta use the power of disagreement. When the enemy said he's going to kill you, you need to stand there and say, I disagree. When the enemy said your finances are going down, you need to say, I disagree. If you'll choose to disagree with the enemy, you will activate the blessing of Psalm chapter 1, which is simply the supernatural ability to succeed over adversity. Paul said, I might be bitten, but I want to show you something. I'm still blessed by the most high God. I might have a viper hanging from my arm, but I'm still blessed by the most high God. And the Bible says after a long time when the venom should have caused him to swell up and fall over dead, he just shook the snake off in the fire and felt no harm. I know you got a lot of stuff threatening you right now, but God said you're going to feel no harm. I know a few of you have been bitten, but God said you're going to feel no harm. I know a few of you may have sickness in your body watching me online, but God said you're going to feel no harm. You're going to shake this thing off and feel no harm. Because blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree. I didn't mean to talk about you. And she shall be like a tree. I didn't mean to mention you. And they shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth their fruit in their season. Not only is it not going to kill you, it's about to be the most fruitful season of your life. I wish I had some wood in this room for my fire. I wish I had some wood in this room for my fire. I said, not only is it not going to kill you, it's about to be the most fruitful, most blessed, most prosperous, most healthy, most strong season you've ever had in your life. I wish I had five praisers. I know it's not a full church, but I wish I had five praisers. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I've been bitten, but I'm still blessed. I wish I had a crazy person. I wish I had a radical person who knows what it's like to be bitten, but still be blessed. I got it coursing through my veins, but I'm feeling no harm. Looking like it's gonna kill me, but I'm still standing. It looks like I would have fallen by now, but I'm still here. I've been bit, but I'm blessed. I wish the blessed people would take 10 seconds and give God 
a blessed praise, a survivor's praise, a thankful praise, a radical praise. couple of months it's just math somebody's gonna come up with some kind of test or something that says you got sick or you got a negative doctor's report or you got you know a negative test result and I'm giving this to you now so you'll have something in your spirit to say back that's what pastors do that's what parents do somebody said good morning to my son today and he didn't say nothing I grabbed him by the neck fatherly like son when someone speaks to you this is what you say in response Parents teach response because there's going to be a time in that little boy's life where he's in a situation and he's got to respond right. Pastors teach response. I'm not going to tell you God's going to put a holy orb over you that's going to keep you out of all trouble. You're going to go through some stuff. Something's going to bite you. But the bite doesn't have to harm you if you got the right response. So he, so he stood back there. He says, he says to himself, "I believe what he later wrote to the church at Galatia." He said, um, hmm. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself as a ransom for me. This is not the result of shameful acts I did years ago. This is not the coming destruction that I have feared would come on me for years of bad decisions and poor choices. This is a bite. And this, just like that ocean I just swam out of, should kill me. But I'm blessed. I love the fact that he remembered while the serpent was hanging on his arm. I love the fact that he remembered all the sharks he had paddled by. See, that's why some of you have been in such a low place. You're focused on what bit you, the problems you're going through now. You've already forgot about all the sharks 
Some of us didn't grow up in good environments. Some of us grew up in shark-infested waters. Some of us grew up with sharks all around us. Some of us have been through things. You wouldn't believe us if we told you our testimony. Just the abuse that's in this room right now that's been survived. Just the mental anguish and the depression. Just the sicknesses that were in this room that God has healed. Just the stories of real life experience of God coming down in your situation and holding you together. Of God coming down into your mind and healing wounds too deep for any natural remedy to heal. Just God doing God's stuff that only God can do. There's been so many sharks, honey. And I told God I was so sorry that we've all had such an attitude on us because the truth of the matter is this is just one more thing in a long list of things that should have killed us, should have destroyed our family, should have taken us completely out. Have you forgotten what he's brought you through? Watching me online, how soon have you forgotten? He's not a new God. He's the same God. The same God that kept you safe from all the sharks you had to swim through to safety. The same God that kept you covered through all that you've been through to this point in your life. That's the same God over coronavirus over a second shutdown or a second wave or, or a, a something in the fall or something next year. He's the same God. He's the anyway God. Somebody hurt you when you were little and voices crowded all around you, some even voices in your own family and said, you'll never be whole, you'll never be okay, you'll never recover from it. Look at your life. Look at how you've succeeded. Look at how you've made it. Look at what you've become. Some of you had to live with threats over your head all of your life. Some of you had to live with you're going to be nothing just like your mama and your daddy. You're going to be in poverty all your life. You'll never own anything. You'll never have a vehicle. You'll never have a job. You'll never be steady. Some of you had to live with horrible things spoken over your head. And you've defied every one of them through your faith in God. And now you're letting what some stupid news anchor on television say put you down in the dumps. No, honey. We were people meant for praise. We were meant for people to be radical in our expression of thanksgiving to God. Because we, we're not the successful ones. We're the ones he made successful. We're not the educated ones. We're the ones he gave wisdom to. We're not the strong ones. We're the ones that he looked at and said, let the weak say I am strong. And he made it so because we said it in faith. We're the people that don't deserve to be here anyway. We're the people should have died a long time ago. We're people that have had guns to our head and really thought about pulling the trigger. We're people that have taken entire bottles of pills and somehow woke up the next day. We're people that drank way too much, got in the car, still don't know how you made it home. We're people that have been through so much more than this. We're people that grew up without a mother in the home or without a father in the home. We're people that had to fight off alternative lifestyles and massive identity conflicts. We're 
people that have battled substance abuse and depression and anxiety that would stop most people in their tracks. Some of you woke up this morning and had to take a whole bunch of medicine just to come here today. But you couldn't miss being here because something in your soul said, I have got to get to the house of God today. Don't you dare feel condemned. Don't you dare blame yourself. Don't you dare get in condemnation. God loves you so much. He invites you today into his body to identify with him and be free of the guilt and the shame and the past and the losses. Some of our families could have been destroyed. I mean, hanging on by a thread makes no natural sense how the family survived. But the God that brought you through the sharks, I said the God that brought you through the sharks, he knows there's a viper hanging from you. And he says to you, shake it off. You're going to feel no harm. If I've got members watching online sick in your body, listen to me. Viper may have bit you. Shake it off. You're going to feel no harm. How can you say that with such confidence? All of my life, God blessed me to have a front row seat to see how God takes misfits and turns them into miracles. You're looking at a misfit that was turned into a miracle. I'm telling you, you may be bitten. But you If you will remember how blessed you are oh my god this weight will lift up off you if you will remember how blessed you are all of a sudden you'll find your hands going up in the air and your mouth feeling with praise to god if you will remember how blessed you are if you will remember how far god has brought you something will break over your life in fact the intended purpose and target that the enemy has had for this whole thing it'll break over your life and you will walk in a freedom and a joy and a peace that the enemy cannot take away so I speak over your life in the name of Jesus whatever vipers hanging from your hand that in the name of Jesus Christ you'll shake it off and you will feel no harm that's a prophetic word for somebody. That's what God told me to come in here and say. He said, you may be bitten, but you're still blessed. I said, you may be bitten, but you're still blessed. I said, you may be bitten, yes, but you're still blessed. Somebody say, I'm still blessed. Say, I'm still Worship in the house. Oh, yes. 
crucified with Christ. Yet I live. The life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself a ransom for me. He paid it. He didn't forgive it. That's one of the poorest misunderstandings of Christianity. He didn't forgive it. He paid it. That means your healing is paid for. Your deliverance from that depression is paid for. The antidote for that venom that's coursing through your veins has already been paid in full. Your salvation and freedom from the guilt and the shame of the past has already been You receive it. You receive it. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself a ransom for me. No wonder he said, what then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? No wonder he said we're pressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the death of the Lord Jesus so that the life of the Lord Jesus may abound. In other words, he really he really believed this stuff. There's some people here that are just listening to me. Haven't made that decision yet. What I'm telling you about is not just a pathway to eternity. As important as that is, I outlined that last week. What I'm telling you about is a pathway to Fierce, overcoming victory. I'm, I'm not promising you some cheap gospel with an absence of trouble. I'm telling you there's going to be crazy amount of trouble. And I'm telling you after the worst of it, you're going to still be standing there. That's what this stuff, believing and buying into this stuff does. And I pray you receive it in your spirit today. I pray it just gets in there and sticks. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. All right, let's bless the house of the Lord. Get an offering. Get a seed in your hand right now. Watching me online, don't click off. Get a seed right where you are. You can text it in. You can give online right where you're watching. You can just click the giving link in the comments. You can text CWMSA to 77977. But listen, while you're making out your seed today, I, I don't want you to just put some arbitrary number. I want, I want you to put something. I want to make this offering right now a thank offering. 
I want to make this offering an offering from people. And if you don't have anything to give, you don't have to. But but there's some there's a few people in here that you're like Paul. You you may have something hanging on you right now, but you know you swam with a lot of sharks. And you know you've only made it to this point and survived to this point because of the goodness and the grace of God. And Moses said, he said, once a year, I want all the people to, to add up the goodness and the kindness of God, the grace of God, the things God's done in your life. I want you to put a pencil to it. I want you to add up the, the times you've been preserved and the times you've been blessed and the times you've been covered. And I want you to bring the Lord a thank offering. And I just thought that today in the middle of all of this negativity and all of this strain and all of this frustration that we're all feeling, I thought today it would be a powerful spiritual answer, a powerful spiritual response to give God a sacrificial thank offering. And I don't know what thanks looks like to you. I, God knows your level of sacrifice. Everybody's different in what they have available and what they can sacrifice finding out on an instant like this but but I believe God's been really good to the people of this church and I believe it's only right for us to honor and worship him today with a thank offering I think it'll help us remember I think it'll reaffirm our confidence in future trials that the same God that was with us through all of this the same God will get us through whatever we face and, and if you're sensitive in the spirit, if you're sensitive to moments like this, just feel in your spirit and, and write out a thank offering to God. I, I, want you to, I want you to put thank offering on it. If you're writing on an envelope, if you're writing on an envelope, just put thank offering on it. If you're giving through text, just hold up your cell phone and just say with your mouth, say thank, thank offering. Thank you, God. If you're giving online, just type in the comments, thank offering. God, I just want to give you an offering of thanks. I, I recognize, even though I may be going through trouble, even though I may have been bitten, I've still been blessed. And your goodness and kindness to me is the only reason that I'm still standing here and have the strength that I have. And God, today I want to offer you something. I want to offer sacrificially to you something that, that blesses your heart. Just all over the room, just Holy Spirit, speak to your people. Speak to your people. Nudge on their hearts. Nudge on those people who don't normally give. They're, they're somewhat resistant to giving. Or maybe they're in a tight spot. They, they've never given by faith, trusting you to, to bring the provision. Let something that's been spoken from your word today pierce that. Let people understand the power of giving to your kingdom. Let them understand the power of worshiping you with their sacrifice, not just their words. Let that settle in this place right now. Let it settle online right now. For those that are still watching, so many click off. They always do. They get what they want from the word and they, they bow out. But you're a part of this church too. And that means you're a part of this offering too. It shouldn't just be the people who have braved coming out into this room that support the kingdom of God. It's your responsibility too. So give something today, something sacrificial, something special. God will see that and honor that and bless that if you'll do it. Amen. Stand to your feet, people of God. Raise up your hands. Lord, we offer you our thanks today. We owe you praise. Oh, we owe.